As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to another episode of Copa with Felipe Cardenas. I'm your host. I am in Doha at the Media Center, the FIFA Media Center, on the rooftop, I guess we can call it a rooftop, right by where we all eat on a daily basis if you're here working. Uh, Today, I'm not going to any games. It is Sunday. Big match coming up, though. Big one for our Canada rider, Joshua Cloak. Uh, If you're listening to this now, it is about an hour, actually 30 minutes before kickoff between Croatia and Canada. Expect some fireworks there, obviously, if you're not following what is going on. Actually, just read all of Joshua Cloak's work. He's been doing awesome work here in Doha, uh, uncovering a lot about the Canadian national team, everything from uh, players wielding swords to John Herdman talking trash about Croatia, Croatia firing back. And so we expect um, an interesting matchup between those two teams and now with Morocco's victory over Belgium that group is completely wide open imagine if Canada gets a win imagine that um, other than that tomorrow uh, actually tonight at 10 p.m. here local time is the big one uh, between Germany and Spain uh, Germany needing a win desperately needed a win if they do not win they're essentially out of the World Cup you can't lose two games in a row and advance unless actual comical results happen in that result as well or in that group as well uh but i like spain in that one we saw them in person they are playing very well uh and germany i think is going to struggle uh just mentally playing against a very confident side but again it's the germans a draw may may help them out there so we'll probably talk about that one throughout the week on all of the athletics platforms so look out for that today we're going to talk about mexico in Argentina. I was at that game yesterday with some colleagues. A number of us were there covering the game. Uh, my guest today, Luke Bosher, he's part of our UK news team. He was there. Uh, can we say that you were there as an ad- observer? Were you there as an observer? Were you working? Like, what was the what was your deal with that, Luke? And welcome to the show. Thanks, Felipe. Uh, great to be here. Um, I was there. I like to think I was there working. You know, I, when I'm, whenever I'm watching football, really, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I'm always working. Um, I wasn't there to file anything specifically or to do anything specifically, but 
you know, you always look at football. I think you're probably the same whenever you're watching football, even if you're technically off that day. You know, you're always thinking about what it may mean for the future and what it means for the tournament. And from a news perspective, um, Argentina, Mexico. I mean, certainly, you know, with Messi's potential World Cup swung song, it's it's always newsy. It's always newsy in uh, in South and Central America. So, uh, but it was a great game. I thought a really, really great game. Um, and I felt very privileged to be there. You know, my first time watching Messi at a World Cup. Um, and how great was it that he scored? Amazing. So, Luke, before we move on to get your, your other impressions and just some, some color around that game, let's explain to listeners, what does the UK news team do? And what is your role? Because... It's a very, very important department now. It's growing department. And I think we're seeing the full breadth of the UK news team here at this World Cup. But give the listeners a bit of a uh, the lowdown on what you do. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like I could I could speak for a while potentially on uh, on what we do. But to give it a quick summary, uh, we focus on you know news, but that's injuries, uh, suspensions. A lot of off-the-pitch stuff to do with at this World Cup, you know, the armband, to do with workers' rights, to do with, you know, Gianni Infantino and whatever he decides to say in the mor- when he gets out of bed in the morning. Um, you know, whatever managers say, a lot of quotes stuff. Um, and we also run and manage the live section on The Athletic, which is, I think, it's, it's ever-growing, really. Um which means live blogs for each matches. We've been blogging every single match of the World Cup. We've had a great team of writers. Um, one of the cool things that we've done at this World Cup is, you know, a lot of the UK writers who cover Premier League clubs, they're not super active now because obviously everyone's World Cup focused. So we've had the likes of, you know, Phil Hay, who covers Leeds. He's done a few uh, live blogs for us. We've had Andy Jones, who covers Burnley and Liverpool. He's done a few live blogs. Art DeRoche. Um, he covers Arsenal. He's done a few live blogs for us, so you know we're really, we're really trying to like create a premium product for either people using the live blog as a second screen experience, you know, getting stats, expert opinion from people in the stadium. I know Felipe, you've contributed to these live blogs, um, or for people who are unable to watch the game to have it as their you know primary experience. And yeah, I mean, we as well as you know news, we often work with writers on newsy long reads um, about you know the fallout from this or explaining this we kind of we kind of do a lot of stuff we do a lot of stuff I like to think we're always busy there's uh, I think from what I've gathered from Twitter like when I tweet about the World Cup I get questions like I was asked the other day can you just go to any game can we just choose a game and go to well I'm gonna answer that now no you know we for instance in my case I before I arrived here, I had uh, media entry for every Mexico game and every Uruguay game, meaning those are like my priorities. While we're here, though, there are ways for reporters to get into games the same day. There's a standby list where you can request uh, to get into a game the same day, and then you get approved or you don't get approved. Uh, so that's one thing. Another thing that I often see in, in comments is like, how, like, what am I doing at a game? And so, yeah, I think you bring up the live blog, and that's an important one because it's, it's, it's a super important product for us because we feel like it's growing and it's great for fans to know, to, to see, like, 
in real time how we are analyzing a game. And so we have a group of editors, we create a Slack channel, they'll say, you know, throw in your thoughts. And so I'm watching a game and I, I will write a blurb about the game. Like I'll write a tactical blurb. It could be color about the stadium. It could be something I saw on the sideline. Anything that I think a reader would be interested in. Uh, a number of us are doing that. And I, that's why the live blog is so important. And if you haven't checked it out, do it. Like it's not only good to track results and, and news, but it's pretty entertaining too, because it's, I, I feel like I don't, I'm not always reporting. I'm giving an opinion. I'm giving a take. I'm giving some analysis. So uh, you sort of get a different feel for that. Uh, the news team also, this is a, an interesting one, like where I think they just lend a helping hand. Like the other day, Messi gave a press conference uh, on match day minus one the day before they lost to Saudi Arabia. And I was there uh, and I translated it. I transcribed it. And I was sitting next to Luke like, okay, what do I do this? Do with this? Like I have to write something else. Like, but there's a lot of new good stuff here from Lionel Messi. Um, and you know, we flagged it for the news team and someone on the news team took those quotes and wrote a story, like a good story, something that like, I think a lot of fans would want to know, like, what did Lionel Messi say? So just a growing team, the UK team is crushing it here. I think it's great to be able to work alongside them at a world cup. Uh, so yeah. All right. Let's talk about the game again. You were there. I was there. Let's start with just the build up to the game. It was built for since the draw, one of the biggest games of the group stage, depending on who you ask, it's a rivalry, it's a Clasico. Uh, Tata Martino, Mexico's coach, said the day before the game that it's not a Clasico. He didn't like say that, but he implied that it's too one-sided to be a Clasico. In Mexico, it is. They just, they just said, yes, this is a rivalry because they have World Cup history. So a lot was riding on it for Mexico to like actually finally beat Argentina. When Argentina then loses to Saudi Arabia, Mexico draws with Poland, the group is wide open, and everything around the game changed. Uh, we expected Lucille Stadium, where the final will be played, to be packed. It was. What was your first impression when you walked into the stadium? Because I remember coming up the stairs to the media tribune, I just, we decided not to take the elevator, and we took the stairs. Okay, It was a tough climb because this is a big, big stadium. But it was like when we got to the final floor, I just heard this roar. It sounded like a consistent, constant roar of fans. And it felt like, wow, this is massive. What, were your, what was your first impression? Yeah, I think the atmosphere was my first takeaway. I, it was very much a party kind of vibe, especially pre-match. You know, you had Argentina fans who were to, to our left, who the majority of them were you know, singing, chanting, dancing, banging the drums. And then it was it was almost like a call and response because, you know, we kind of got to the Tribune, you know, just under an hour before kickoff, I think. And, you know, that's when there's not, there's like, there's not loads of tension there yet. People are in a very buoyant mood. And I think, you know, Argentina fans would sing and then, you know, then Mexico fans would be like, oh, we have to sing now. And they would, and then there'd be a quiet moment. Mexico would start up and then Argentina would respond and, I felt like each set of fans was determined to not be outdone by the other. And that, that made for like a really, really great build up. Uh, you know, we've both been to, you know, several many games at this tournament. Some of the atmospheres have been great. Some of them not so much. You know, some fans haven't been able to travel and that's fine. Uh, but this was certainly this ranked very, very highly for me in terms of atmosphere and, and like a double headed atmosphere. I was at Denmark, Tunisia, as you well know. And the Tunisian fans made for a great atmosphere, but there was nothing from Denmark. 
Whereas this was very much like 50-50. It felt like there was an even number of fans. Maybe Argentina just edging it in terms of number of colours that I saw. But, you know, that did not mean Mexico fans were quiet by any means. Uh, they were great. It was a really, really great atmosphere. That did surprise me. I, I, um, I, I figured after Mexico-Poland that, like, okay, we know there's going to be tons of Mexico fans. I thought that they would outnumber the Argentina fans, but I agree. Like, being there in person, I was like, wow, like, there are a lot of Argentina fans. They were spread out across the stadium uh, very distinctly in their colors. And it was funny to see the two fans competing for sort of like protagonism in the buildup. And even before, in, the, in the first half when the game was really even, and, and that was what I expected. If it's even for a half, Mexico's fans are going to be really into it. And they were. Uh, what were your thoughts on just tactically, if we go into this, like knowing that, Me- that Mexico could draw, knowing that Argentina needed a win, they were desperate to win. There was all the anxiety around the camp. Um, were you surprised or were you impressed with anything particular from a tactical perspective, either from Argentina or Mexico? I have to say, I think I was I was disappointed slightly, but not surprised that Mexico opted for a five at the back. I felt like that was... It was negative, but it was understandable. It felt like they set out to not lose the game. Which, I mean, when you're playing against Argentina, who are undoubtedly a better side, you know, maybe that's that's fair enough. But I think we've seen, we've seen similar setups not really pay off at this World Cup. I saw... We saw... Um, Iran, they changed their system. They went to five at the back against England to try and, you know, frustrate a a bigger team. And that completely backfired. You know, they lost 6-2 doing something that they don't normally do. And I had hoped that Mexico would be a bit more adventurous and take advantage of an Argentina side who were reeling. They were almost in crisis mode after the defeat by Saudi Arabia. And I, I understand why Tata Martino did what he did. But, you know, you have to look at the result and they lost 2-0 and they're you know staring down the barrel of elimination it didn't pay off it really didn't pay off from an Argentina perspective you know they lined up certainly in terms of shape and structure how you would expect obviously Scaloni made those five changes I think it was no one really stood out to me from an Argentina perspective obviously apart from Leo Messi you know doing what he has done for you know the best part of nearly two decades now but you know, to be honest, I liked what I saw from Enzo Fernandez when he came on. He was probably like Argentina's standout player. I thought, actually, thinking about it now, I thought Lisandro Martinez coming into the side. He was a very, very calm presence at the back. He's a very assured footballer. He's very good on the ball. I like the fact that he's left-footed and plays on the left. I think that's, you know, when if a team has a back four and they have a left-footed and a right-footed centre-back, I think that's that opens up so many, you know, passing lanes that opens up you know so many channels and you know it it was interesting because it made Argentina a very small team playing Otamendi and Martinez at center back but then that didn't really matter because Mexico started you know without a recognized striker they started Chucky Lozano and Vega up front you know ostensibly but they were kind of both pulling wide at times and didn't really challenge uh, the Argentina defense yeah, I think that's basically it. I didn't think Mexico challenged the Argentina team as much as they could have. 
This is not an Argentina team that won their first game three 0 is in on top and is on top of the world. It was an it was a vulnerable Argentina side, and they I think Mexico paid them too much respect, to be honest. So, so that's one of the main criticisms coming out of the game from Mexico is that, and they some of the players in the mix zone were asked. Actually, I believe it was uh, Chucky Lozano was asked, did did Mexico show too much respect to, to Argentina? And something I'll tell you that I learned from the mix zone is that. I'm watching the game first of all before we go down there, and 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 I thought the setup for Mexico was surprising. The five in the back, five through two, especially playing, leaving all your number nines on the bench, and starting two wingers as two center forwards. And you mentioned them pulling wide. It's like that's those are their tendencies. Like it was difficult for them to do. Like Vega ran himself to the ground by the 37th minute because he's trying to press. He's trying to he's trying to cover a flank. He's trying to attack. And it just didn't work from from the from from there. But the the middle of the field was really well done. They were well drilled. They were frustrating Leo Messi. They were all over Rodrigo de Paul. Uh, McAllister uh, difficult. He could not get on the ball. You know, he was not finding the ball. And what I learned in the mix zone is that uh, both Angel Di Maria and uh, Rodrigo de Paul f- spoke first, and they said that they didn't expect. Mexico to do what they did. They had studied a Mexico side that are uh, sort of free-flying, that send their fullbacks up, that play a high line, uh, that want to keep the ball. And so they were prepared for that. And it was, uh, I think, a shock to the system that all of a sudden they were in this slugfest in a narrow field looking for space. And in the moment, I said, well, okay, well, Tata Martino actually like pulled a fast one here against his former team. And, and, and was able to frustrate them. Leo Messi later said, we were expecting uh, a, a different Mexico side, and he said that they, 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 were, they sat back like they never have before, which is an interesting thing to say. Like, clearly they had watched a lot of Mexico games. They know Tata Martino well. This is, this is a coach that he had at both Barcelona and Argentina. So in that sense, it was a small, small victory for Tata Martino in the 45 minutes of that first half. And then it all fell apart. Now, it fell apart in the 63rd minute when the players started to tire. Did you ever think that we wouldn't see a goal in that match? Did you ever? Did you think that perhaps what we witnessed, which was messy magic, would not come to fruition? Were you were you were you ever at a point, Luke, where it was like, you know, Messi needs to do something here? Or this game is going to go the the opposite direction for them. I do think that, you know, looking back uh, when we were, you know, just in the early stages of the second half, I did think that the thought did cross my mind that this very well could be nil-nil and that would be a very interesting result from the perspective of looking at the group as a whole because then Poland and Saudi Arabia would be ahead of both Argentina and Mexico. And I neither side had really looked like scoring. There hadn't been many clear-cut chances. Messi himself had had a free kick I think five, ten minutes before he scored the goal. And it was, you know, I was looking at it thinking, oh my word, this is prime, messy position, perfect, like side of the box, perfect distance. I'm thinking Ochoa is not the tallest goalkeeper. He's going to have to, if Messi puts it anywhere near the top corner, he's going to have to scramble. But it I think, went like way high over the crossbar and was very disappointing. And that was, that had kind, that was kind of emblematic of Messi's game up until that point. As you kind of say, Mexico's 
you know, their, their three central defenders and their three central midfielders created a real box. And that meant that there was like no half spaces for Messi to pick the ball up. He was dropping back, you know, as like almost like a number six when Guido Rodriguez was dropping back as a third centre back. So Messi could drop back even further. And I did think that, you know, Messi hadn't, you know, been able to grab the, the game by the scruff of the neck. But as you say, it, it was it was Leo Messi magic. That, that opened the door and I, I did think that there once it was kind of felt like the kind of game that there would be more if there was one goal we might see a few more goals because we saw as soon as Messi scored both managers changed their tactics and I was then you know as a relatively neutral observer I was like why did Mexico not start with a 4-3-3 and I guess to your point about Martino claiming a small victory you know, I'm sure that I don't have the exact numbers, but I'm sure that shot for Messi was very low on the XG scale. So from his perspective, he'd probably look at it and go, you know, we prevented Argentina from creating any click up chances and we would have been happy with a point to face, you know, a kind of flip flop Saudi Arabia side. You don't know what you're going to get in the next game and, you know, maybe end the group on four points. But that's a lot of ifs, buts and maybes. And in the end, it, it didn't work because Messi is Messi and he can do stuff like that and there's no real way for coaches to account for that when they're picking their team and 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 picking their shape or formation this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to michelobultra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So something that Tata Martino said in his post-game press conference, he was asked like about the setup. Why did you choose those tactics? This is a 4-3-3 coach, uh, a coach that I, I remembered one time where he's played with two, two central strikers, and it was in a qualifier against Jamaica in the sort of like late in the late in the second half where they were losing, they needed a goal. Uh, and he brought on a second striker and Vega and Henry Martin played as two central strikers and they both scored and they won the game. And that led to questions like, why don't you do this more often? 
and he's just stuck in his ways that he plays with a, a lone uh, number nine. Uh, but but yeah, I, he was asked about the setup, and he used the word neutralize. He's like, this was what we felt we needed to do in order to neutralize Argentina and the players that they have. Now, the day before, he had been asked about Messi and how to control Messi, and he said it doesn't matter like whether Messi is in poor form, high-flying form. He can beat you in 30 seconds. He can beat you in five minutes. We're preparing to see the best version of Leo Messi. And last night it was brought up again, and that's what he said. Like, we had done everything right. And he explained the goal in that his three central midfielders had got caught on the same side of the ball where Argentina were trying to build up in Mexico's half. And when they swung the ball around and sort of broke that press of Chavez, Herrera, uh, and Eric Gutierrez, they didn't rotate. And it just took us a few seconds to find Leo Messi, and he finished that shot. And so that was what Martino referred to as, like, the small error that we committed that led to, to the loss. And he also said that when, when a reporter asked him if, if what he should say to the fans, if they should have hope, he told the reporter that that was the reporter's job, that it's not his job to do that, and that our job as reporters is to evaluate and analyze the entire game, not just the result. And I think what he was trying to say is that like, you explained it perfectly, Luke, they were playing for the draw. They were fine with the draw. They even knew that they would not have, they would not have, they would have very few chances in the game. Martino said, we knew that would happen. We were counting on dead balls, corner kicks, and one or two chances to just break free and play into space with our, our quick uh, central center forwards. But, in the end, I think you just saw the quality of Argentina and the stagnation of a generation of Mexico players that are technically gifted, they're well-prepared, they're well-drilled, they play for the shirt, they play for their coach, but they don't have the difference makers that should be playing at this level. And in the end, what we saw was not just Leo Messi, but you mentioned Enzo Fernandez. And let's talk about that, too. This is a guy that young player at River Plate, goes to Europe, goes to Benfica, immediately starts in the Champions League. It shows a lot of quality. And you mentioned that he was one of the stand-up performers. What, other than the goal, what did you like about Enzo Fernandez? And what do you like about his game for, for, for listeners that aren't sure who this guy is? Maybe yesterday was the first time you saw him playing. I think so. Fernandez came on for um, Rodriguez uh, to kind of be the almost anchor man of, of Argentina's midfield three. But Rodriguez from from when I've seen him is a is a much more defensive player. He's a little bit more one dimensional. He's taller, you know, he's he's probably six two, six one. Uh, you know, and we saw throughout the game that Rodriguez would drop in, you know, split the centre backs and he would be, you know, in the same line as them. Otamendi would pull wide and um Martinez would pull wide left. And Fernandez did that a little bit, but I think he's just a little bit more of a dynamic player. He's way more box-to-box. He offers more in the middle and the offensive third. And as we saw on the goal, he can beat, he can beat players. He has like skills and tricks in his locker. He's got a drop of the shoulder. He's a little bit faster as well, which obviously you know, comes from being a younger player. And I think he plays... It's a bit of a cliche, um, so you'll, please forgive me, but he, he looks like he plays without fear. He plays as though he enjoys football, and from a central midfielder, that's a great that's a great trait to have. and And he doesn't have any 
You know, I think something that was kind of maybe said when he moved to Benfica is he doesn't have like a standout strength. Like he's not, you know, an excellent passer. He's not an excellent dribbler. He's not an excellent shooter or tackler. He's just quite good at a lot of things. And I think, you know, he that was needed for Argentina. Someone who could do a bit of everything, who could defend, but who could progress the ball, who could do something unexpected. And I think he offered... I was kind of surprised that he didn't start. I would have liked... I personally, I know, you know, Scaloni has, you know, very set players that he likes to play in certain positions. I would have liked to have seen him play maybe instead of McAllister or DePaul, slightly further advanced up the pitch. And maybe that will happen because, you know, we were talking... Well, I was talking to another of our reporters who was at the game, James Horncastle, and, you know, it was pretty obvious that Rodrigo DePaul had quite a poor game. I think he, he wasn't very good. So, Fernandez was exciting, I think. That's a, a long-winded way of saying Fernandez is an exciting player and he is in, enjoyable to watch and I think I, I would be shocked if he doesn't start the next game. Before uh, the day of the press conference, the day before that game, just listening to the chatter from the Argentine journalists, Enzo Fernandez was basically written in black pen in the starting eleven. Everyone wanted to see him there. Uh, there was a, a brief moment during the prior to the World Cup when the final twenty-six man rosters were being uh, put together, where he was sort of on the bubble. He was a, a young player that may or not, may not be in. I honestly just could not imagine this team without him because even if he doesn't start, you see what he can do, uh, you know, off the bench. I agree. I think he has a great opportunity to start against Poland. And not only because of his performance, but because Scaloni has never played the same 11 in in consecutive matches. Like, that is a very interesting data point for Luis Scaloni. Uh, He gives a lot of players opportunities. Uh, He doesn't mind changing the side. And I think that just shows a lot of trust that he has in in his in, in his players and, and the depth of that squad. Uh, the the goal I thought was interesting because in in going back and listening to the audio of the the mix zone, Rodrigo Paul did say something that when they went into halftime, they're in the dressing room, it's nil nil, and obviously the game has gone the way Mexico wanted it to. And so what Rodrigo DePaul revealed is that both Scaloni and Messi together gave a team talk and just, it wasn't a rallying cry. It was just like, everyone calm down and be patient. Be patient because we're going to, they're going to tire Mexico and we're going to push them further and further back into their defensive third. And do you remember, like, that's what happened. That is, like, all of a sudden, the, the, the second half started and Mexico were even deeper into their own penalty area to start and just booming balls forward, hopeful balls forward. And I was like, this is not sustainable. So um, in the second half, it just played to, to, to Argentina's strengths. They get the goals. And, and, and what a goal from Enzo Fernandez. I mean, a bit of a sidestep, a bit of a scissor. You mentioned the, dro- the drop of the shoulder. He did all of that. And then just a curler into the corner that, you know, now Mexico and Argentina has a history of just great goals in, in World Cups. I mean, perhaps it wasn't the Maxi Rodriguez worldy, uh, but it's going to be remembered for a very, very long time because of the moment, and you mentioned the crisis motive where Argentina was. Do you think, Luke, that Argentina are back to being the contenders that they were? It surely felt like it from the mix zone. I can tell you that much right now. 
the 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 reporters were happy again. The questions were more about like, you look good, you like Messi, you look happy, and Di Maria, you're such a standout on this team. And what did you tell Messi? And the way they celebrated, it was just like a very a lot of tension was relieved. Do you see them once again being a favorite at this World Cup? I think short answer yes I think they are still a favorite because you know one game against Saudi Arabia you know you can you can write it off as a blip you can you know they had two disallowed goals I think as well as the goal that did stand and you know you could see the emotion from the Argentine especially when Enzo Fernandez scored but also when Messi scored like the the whole bench emptied for Fernandez's goal and you could see from the videos after the game as well as on the pitch you know how much that victory meant and how much you know how much almost relief and celebration there was and I think you know looking at it maybe optimistically I think maybe the maybe the shackles are off you know that kind of will allow that will instill some belief into the the Argentina players and staff and it will allow them to go and play against Poland as as they want to um, which is more akin to how they played in the second half uh, against Mexico and I think it's an, you know interesting that we've kind of we've just watched Belgium lose to Morocco in what is you know definitely a shock at the World Cup. But I was at Roberto Martinez's press conference yesterday, and he spoke about how the difference with this World Cup only having you know three to five sessions with your team off the back of you know the regular European season makes it very difficult to establish any team cohesion. And he thinks that he said <laughs> it's ironic now. He said that's why we've had so many surprises at this World Cup because you, you can't, you know, prepare a team. You don't have four weeks and three to four friendlies as you normally would before your know, Euros or a World Cup. And he said he thinks teams are going to start clicking after, you know, after the group stage, after they've played three games and they've had it'll be ten days ish of training sessions together, and that will really. And if that happens with Argentina, that will really benefit them. You know, if they get clicking and, you know, the players all of a sudden look like, you know, they're building up some chemistry because I think that was one thing from the first half in that game against Mexico. Yes, Mexico made it very difficult. They defended. They were very disciplined. You know, there weren't, you know, many spaces for Argentina to exploit, but it didn't look like a team that knew kind of where they wanted to be. You know, Di Maria ostensibly was playing from the right but he would then pop up on the left and then Montiel wouldn't necessarily overlap so there was no one on the right hand side and Lataro didn't look completely comfortable playing from the left and you know McAllister struggled to get in the game the Paul struggled to get in the game people didn't look like they knew necessarily where they were supposed to be and who they were supposed to pass to and I think you know if they can develop more um if they can develop more togetherness and understanding, you know, against Poland and with more training sessions, then Argentina will certainly be really dangerous, very dangerous. It's an excellent point. It's an excellent point because uh, Messi was asked in the mix zone by a reporter if the win against Mexico allows them to, end, to, to prepare for the Poland game in a different way. Clearly, they were stressed out to the maximum level for this this Mexico game, which probably affected their preparation. They probably focused too much on Mexico and not enough 
on themselves and now they can go into the polling game knowing that they're going to control possession uh, they're probably facing an, a similar team that's going to be okay with the draw now they've had that experience and they'll know what to do all right let's end here uh, I, I can't we can't sign off though Luke without talking about England uh, and and just a, a quick recap of what you experienced at England USA we were there together uh, it was the big buildup especially in, in the United States uh, I feel like the buildup was probably overhyped perhaps, but it's always a huge, huge deal in the U.S. when England and, and the United States play, especially in a World Cup. Uh, United States, clearly uh, the, the better team on the night, but there, what do you think the reason for that was? Why was England so flat? Is there a concern here now that the, the, the dark tournament history that England has, even though they've reached a World Cup semifinal recently, a, a Euro final, I don't know why English fans are so hard on their, their national team, but uh, it's very similar to the Mexico side and, and, and how that, that they're scrutinized. How are you feeling a few days after that nil-nil draw with the United States and now facing Wales, which before the tournament you were concerned about that game just because of the history between the two countries? Yeah, very similar to the US. I think Wales will be right up for this game. I think it will be their biggest <clears throat> it will be their biggest game. It was their biggest game coming into the tournament and now Wales with one draw and one defeat um, they need to win that game so there's even more pressure um, on Rob Page and Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey who you know these big Wales stars who it's more than likely their last World Cups last major tournament for the country and from an England perspective I think I was quite pessimistic heading into the US game and I think it's because as we kind of touched upon that Iran was a bit of a freak because they set up completely differently and it didn't look like they knew what they were doing. And England just exploited all these spaces and all the, the lack of cohesion that Iran had. And I think Gareth Southgate will have to change his team. He can't keep the same team after that, particularly because the US midfield, um, it was a very fluid midfield. It was 4-3-3 at times. It was 4-4-2 at other points. But McKenney, Adams and uh, Eunice Musa defensively were excellent really restricted how Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice and Mason Mount were able to get on the ball. And, and Wales kind of, I think Wales should look at that and look at that as like a blueprint for almost for how to, how to stop this England team. But whether England stay with the same setup, I'd be shocked. I think we could see a formation change from the 4-2-3-1. I think it could be a 4-3-3. It could even be a 3-4-3 or 3-5-2. Maybe not a three-five-two. Maybe three-four-three. Four, three. I do think, however, having watched, you know, we were both in attendance for USA against Wales, and I watched um, all of Wales against Iran. This is a, a poor Wales side. This is not a good Wales side. Certainly not. They're not good on the ball. They do not have like you know. Joe Allen came on as a sub, I think, against Iran. He's kind of their only midfielder that is uh, good at keeping possession, recycling possession. And I think England will have a lot of the ball. But again, like the US game, if you know it gets to half an hour, 45 minutes, and England haven't found the breakthrough, Wales will grow into the game, they'll get more confident. And when we saw that in the US game, they had a lot more chances than England. And I don't know. I, I think that even though I'm pessimistic on this England side and I don't think we'll do very well, I do think that we will beat Wales because Wales are not a good side, whereas I think the US have a lot of good players, and they are a good side, and Berhalter 
coached that team well against England. Interesting. We're going to see. It's it's an interesting group. It's going to be a very exciting last match day uh, in in the, for the U.S. against Iran. I personally think that's going to be a much tougher match uh, than it was, than the England game was. England is just full of quality, and there's there's just the, the 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 history between the two teams. But there's a lot of history between the U.S. and Iran as well, especially at World Cups. Forget the geopolitical side of it as well. That is uh, clearly going to be at play here uh, when those teams kick off. And Iran are growing into this tournament. You know, they were humbled against England. They were completely thrashed. But they're well coached as well. They have good players. They're coming off a very emotional win against Wales. And they're a physical side. And so it's going to be an interesting test for this young American team. And it's a must win for both sides. So who comes out of that is going to advance to the second round. Uh, and they'll likely face the Netherlands or Ecuador. So if I'm England, if you're not watching Ecuador, heads up. Like, that's an interesting side. They can, I think physically they match up with any team in this tournament. And they have a striker that's in form. That's scoring goals in Ener Valencia. Perhaps uh, a bit unsung coming into the tournament because of his age and his, his experience. Uh, but very capable striker. So that's it. We're going to sign off. A reminder of what's coming up on November 28th. First, uh, Cameroon, Serbia, Korea, Ghana. Luke is going to be at Brazil, Switzerland. And I'll be covering Portugal and Uruguay. Big, big matchup in Group H. Uh, the following day, Iran-USA is a 10 p.m. game. And so is Wales-England. Final group stage matches will be played at the same time to sort of try to eliminate any gamesmanship between these two teams when they're playing but a lot of soccer still to be played a lot of football to be played as well thanks for joining me guys until next time